All right, if you got your Bible, um, turn to Second Peter chapter one, and we are going to be looking at verses three through fifteen. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you you are you know that that's where we're going to be because that's where we've been. And we've basically been zooming in on verses 5 through 7 over the course of that time together, but we will kind of just uh, read the whole section to get a running start at the passage. So starting in verse 3, so it says, Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence... For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Father God, we, again, thank you for this time. We thank you for these folks who um, are here today. God, we pray that this would be a time and you would use, um, uh, as, as we look into your word, that you would use this um, to draw us closer to yourself, that you would use your word to convict our hearts, um, that you would use our word to make us see you more clearly, um, that we would see um, not only what you have done, but God, that we would see your person in these words. God, that we would see who you have called us to be as your people. Father, we know that the only way that can happen is through the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and in this place in this time. And so we ask that that would be the case, that you would, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would shine light on this text, um, that, that we would see it and understand it and apply it um, and live our lives in light of it, that we would be the people who you have called us to be. Uh, Father, we thank you. Again, we praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, I'm going to kind of bounce around in, in a couple different places, so so don't get too used to being in one place there in your Bibles if you've got them. Um, as most of you are probably aware, I am a geek, right? Um, I have lots of geeky interests, and, and um, I enjoy pretty much all things um, geek. We've established that previously, I think, probably many times. Um, one of my favorite areas of nerdery, though, is the Lord of the Rings. Like, I love, I love Lord of the Rings stuff. Um, I love the books. Um, I love the mythology of it. The movies are probably the only thing that can even be a contender against the Star Wars movies, right, in, in my mind and heart, right? And so, so I, I love that stuff. Well, there's a scene in the, the, the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, and this is in the first movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, 
um, where it's, it's, it's right at the end of, of the movie. Um, it's actually the beginning of, of the second book, but he kind of changed it around because it's a powerful scene. And spoiler alert, it's where Boromir dies. Okay, And Boromir is one of the fellowship. He's one of this group who's trying to get the ring and take it back to, to Mordor and to have it destroyed. And so um, Boromir is is killed um, by this orc attack, right? And and one of the main characters, Aragorn, the guy who is sort of the um, Davidic kind of Christ character um, in the storyline, um, he finds Boromir, and Boromir's laying there, and he's he's riddled with arrows, and he's and he's kind of in in the last. Um, throes of, of, you know, breathing his last or whatever, right? And so Aragorn is sitting there talking to him, and it's this very emotional scene. And, and what happens is, is Boromir um, and Aragorn have kind of had a, a little bit of a tumultuous relationship through the movie, right? And, and Boromir wasn't quite sure if Aragorn was worthy of being followed. But at this point, he, he knows it, and he has, um, he's trusted, even though he's about to die. And, and so his last dying words, he says to Aragorn, he says, I would have followed you, my brother, my captain, my king. And then, he, and then he dies. And it's a great scene, right? It's, it's, there's, it's, it's very emotional. Um, and, and part of the reason why I love it is because those, that phrase, even though it's not a biblical phrase, it could very much be talking about um, Jesus, right? That idea of my brother, my captain, my king, okay? Those are ideas that we see come through in the scriptures um, in various ways. And so I, I love that phrase, and it especially is, is important to the text that we're talking about today, because as we've worked our way down through um, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, we talked about adding to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge, and to your knowledge self-control, and to your self-control perseverance, and to your perseverance godliness last week. And then this week we are talking about adding to your godliness brotherly kindness or brotherly love. And we see that idea throughout the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, this idea that Jesus is our brother. All right. Um, so, for example, in that passage, that part of the passage that Tanner read for our um, uh, passage, passage of assurance, um, it says this, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers, right? And so he's saying Jesus is, he becomes the firstborn among God's many sons, okay? Although he is the, 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 the first and the exalted and in, 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 in a lot of ways the only true son, whereas we are adopted sons and daughters, um, but, but it's that idea that we are his brothers, or that he is our brother. At one point, Jesus is um, ministering, and he's got a house, and it's full of people, and there's all these people there who are, Jesus is healing and doing all these things, and Jesus' mother and brothers, his actual mother and brothers, Mary, um, and his and his siblings show up, probably to kind of be like, look, this is getting out of hand, Jesus, everybody thinks you're the Messiah, this is kind of crazy, why don't you come home out of the midst of this thing? And somebody says, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. And what does Jesus say? If, if you remember, Jesus says, who are my mother and brothers? And then he says, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and she is my mother. Right? Okay? And so, again, Jesus is willing to associate with us and to claim the fact that he is a brother to us, to those who believe and have trusted um, in God and who do God's will. That Jesus would count himself as our brother is an incredible idea, right? It is something to ponder on, and it's always been something that has been an incredible thought to me as I study the scriptures. Um, that treating 
of someone as your brother obviously has significance for what we're talking about here because we are talking about the idea of showing brotherly kindness to um, other people, that the scriptures are calling us to make every effort, right? That's what the the name of this whole series is, Um, that we would work towards brotherly kindness. um, As we said, a spirit-empowered, gospel-driven, faith-fueled kind of effort to do these things, okay? To be more brotherly kind, more brotherly loving, all right. So what does that word mean? When you look at that word, brotherly kindness, or sometimes um, translated brotherly love, well, it's probably a word that you, in Greek, that you know, even though you may not know. It's the word Philadelphia. When you look at that word in the Greek, it's the word Philadelphia, just like the city. Philadelphia means brotherly love, right? That's why Philadelphia is sometimes called the city of brotherly love. Philo or philia means affection or love or sometimes friendship. And then Adelphos means brother. So Philadelphia, he's talking about this idea of brotherly love. And if you have studied the scriptures um, a little bit, you've maybe come across the, the fact that there are different words for love when you read the, 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 the Bible, right? So, so there's this first one. There's this philia or philo that is sort of friendship kind of um, love or affection. There's the word eros which is where we get our word erotic, and it's about romantic love or, or um, physical sexual kind of love, although that word is not actually used in the scriptures, but it is the Greek word for that concept. There's the word storge, which is basically familial love. It's almost, it's almost like the concept of a natural love, like the way a parent loves their child, right? Like it just, it's just the way the world is or something. It, it can even be used sometimes of the marital union in the context of saying, well, of course, husbands love their wives and wives love their husbands. That's just the way things are. And then there's this other term, agape. And agape is sort of this divine love. It is an unconditional love. It's the way oftentimes God's love for us is spoken of in terms of agape. Now, some commentators will tell you this. They'll say, even though we make a big deal out of the four different kinds of love in the scripture, maybe we shouldn't make that big a deal out of them, right? Because sometimes in the Greek language, the words get used a little interchangeably, and there's not as much distinction made between them. And that, and that may be the case. But at the same time, we know there has to be some some kind of distinction between these words just from the packet passage that we're reading, okay? Because notice what it says in verse um, 7. So it says, add to your godliness brotherly kindness and add to your brotherly kindness love. So in the Greek, that's basically saying, add to your godliness Philadelphia and add to your Philadelphia agape, Okay, so there has to be distinction in those two words or else the text would basically read add to your generic love, generic love. Right. Okay, it's 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 certainly not saying that there has to be some kind of distinction between the idea of this Philadelphia, this brotherly love and this agape, this um, this this sort of more full and divine love. We're going to deal with that a little bit more next week as we talk about agape and finish out this series at Easter. But more importantly, for our context and for what we've been talking about through these weeks, um, it's important. It's an important revelation about the nature of our sanctification. It's important about how God is what God is making us into. Okay, because you remember, as we've talked for weeks, we talked about the first set of these virtues that we see um, 
Paul encouraging us to make every effort in, to grow in, they, they're, they're mainly about internal things, right? So we talked about virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, right? These are things that we are, are doing in our character almost, right? We are growing in each of those things. And then we came to last week and something shifted. And we said godliness, that word godliness, is sort of unique because godliness is, is different from holiness, um, it's not just about our inward uh, righteousness or something like that. Being godly is about, to say it one way, acting and thinking like God does. Okay, Caring about what God does. Making decisions the way, um, with the same impulses and drives that God would. Okay, And so we talked about this missionary nature of our God. The fact that God was not content to just sit in heaven and, and, and be, be holy, but he cared for us. And so he sent his own son to be a missionary, essentially, right? That he sent his own son to earth to take on flesh, to bring us the truth, to live out the truth, to die in our place, to be resurrected, all these things, right? Um, and so that should color, in fact, it really should define how we understand what brotherly kindness is getting at, okay? If we are adding to our godliness brotherly kindness. And it has something to say about it, and that is this, okay? And this is, this is the first thing that I want you to think about and notice. That we have a calling not to just serve per people, right? We don't just owe people service, but we owe people love, all right? We owe people affection. So if this passage is telling us to grow in all these things, to make every effort in all these things, we could have gotten to the end of last week and said, cool, Jesus was serving Jesus was sacrificial. Jesus came to live an external faith and help people. I can do that too, right? But that doesn't mean I have to like everybody, right? That doesn't mean I have to care about people. Um, I can serve them and, and stay, stay, stay disconnected from them in terms of my affections, right? When we get to this brotherly kindness idea, the answer is no, we cannot do that. That is not the case. Um, You'll notice something about Christianity. We tend to we tend to swing between extremes, right? And so we'll start doing this goofy thing over here, and then we go, we got to fix this, and the way we're going to fix it is by doing this goofy thing over here, right? And we completely flip flop to the other side, right? Okay, that's that that informs kind of what we're talking about because here's something you hear a lot in the Christian culture. Ready? Love isn't about feelings; it's about action. Okay, you hear that in, in, in Christian culture and Christian conversations, right? I mean, love isn't about feelings. It's about doing, right? It's about an action. You hear people say that. Sometimes they'll say it like this. Love is a verb, right? It means you do something. It doesn't just mean you feel something, all right? Now, here's the deal. That's true, right? Love is an action, right? It is a verb. It is something we do. It is not just about feelings and emotions, right? Um, 
And that's probably a message that the world needs to hear because in general, I think we have a popular culture, not in the church, but in the rest of the world, that kind of sees love as a function of our emotions, right? And so you can love somebody, but then you kind of fall out of love with them, right? Because you don't feel the same feelings you had at first or something like that, right? And so it's an important message for the church to say, let me tell you what real love looks like. Real love looks like an action, right? It looks like um, not just feelings and emotions, but it looks like action commitment. That is true. Except here's the problem. Biblical love in the scriptures is not just action. It's emotion too. Okay. It is affection too. And so again, what we've done is we saw people being goofy about love on this side. So we just swung it all the way hard to the other side. But the truth is, is that biblical love is both of those things. It is an action. It is something we do. It is about commitment and about, um, Loving even when you don't feel like it, but it is also supposed to be something that is about our emotions, even passionately about our emotions and our affections. And so immediately we see the significance of that in this progression of traits that we've been talking about. We talked about godliness being a sacrificial kind of service to people. And right, that's that's cool. But then you can very easily see how there would be people who would say, I can serve sacrificially and yet do it almost in a stoic kind of way. Right. Like I don't have to invest my heart in people. I can keep them at arm's length. And so I was kind of thinking um, of, of examples of this in the culture. And, you know, we've been talking about foster care. Right. A lot lately. Right. And sometimes, especially people who have dealt with um, uh, uh, child protective services and and um, things like that, like sometimes they'll say, man, it just seems like the people over there are disconnected or something. Right. Um, people that work in um, parole um, work, right? That you're a parole officer, people that work with, in, in welfare and things like that, right? And so sometimes you'll hear people say, man, I just feel like those people are cold or they're disconnected or, or, or whatever. Here's the deal. Um, sometimes they may be, but understand what's going on there. Um, it's a hard job, right? It is a hard job to, to deal with those things on, our, on a daily basis. And so what do our hearts tend to do? Our hearts tend to get so tired of being emotionally wrecked by those issues that we kind of go, all right, I got I got to put some distance between me and this thing and to hold this this out there. Right. And so then all of a sudden you notice these people's lives and you say these are people who sometimes are giving their lives servant heartedly and sacrificially um, to other people. And yet they are also emotionally disconnected from that. Right. I do that as a pastor. Right. It is easy for me to do that as a pastor to basically say, man, I'm tired of people hurting me. I'm tired of people hurt being uh, I'm tired of getting hurt by by wanting people to something to happen and it not happening. So, you know, what I'm going to do I'm going to shut my heart down a little bit. Right. I'm just going to shut it off a little bit. I can still do things. I can still serve. I can still speak truth, but I'm going to keep people at arm's length a little bit. Right. Except here's the problem. This passage is saying, no, you can't. Right. We are not allowed to do that in the context of what biblical sanctification, biblical growth and biblical love look like. Brotherly kindness means that I'm going to have to invest not only my servanthood in people, but I'm going to have to invest my heart and my emotions in people, too. That's just the way it's going to end up being. We can't keep people at arm's length and you have to love people. 
First John chapter five basically says this. It says everyone who believes that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ born of God and everyone who loves the father also loves his children. That's that's what that's what the, the idea is there. Right. We cannot not love people. Even if you're serving them, even if you're giving your life for them, what does, what does Paul tell us um, when he's talking about that, the love chapter, you know, there in 1 Corinthians, he says, man, you can pour your life out for people, you can sacrifice, you can be a martyr, you can know all wisdom and do all these things, but if you do not have love, it is all meaningless. Okay, And so we recognize that's where we're heading, is that we have a changed character on the inside, then we have an active service on the outside, but that service has to be accompanied by some kind of love. And we do all kinds of things to turn that off in our own lives, right? We do things to hijack that to keep from having to have that happen. So there's a pastor named Eric Raymond that some of you may be familiar with. He's a pastor in Boston, and he talks about this. He basically says, look, even though there are lots of reasons and lots of ways we shut that down, the real reason is just there's just one. It's selfishness, right? We become self-centered. We have self-interest. We have self-preferences. Um, we have self-concern. We just sort of focus in on our own hearts and our own stuff and our own lives. And in that inward focus, we start to care less and less about the people who are around us. So John Calvin says it perfectly. He says, when someone thinks more of himself than he ought, he will love others less than he ought. All right? That's just the basic equation. The more you care about your own stuff and the more you focus on you, then the less you will love other people as as. They should be loved. And man, that is not a message that is typically heard in the world, right? I mean, you hear a lot of this talk in culture about self-care, right? I mean, you gotta get your own stuff together. You gotta be good. You gotta be comfortable. You gotta be safe. You gotta be all these things. You know, you gotta be in the right place for you. And the reality is, that's not what happens. Because as you turn inward, you continue to push people, everybody else away. And so Raymond kind of lists out a couple of obvious things that should be obvious to us anyway, that that basically kill brotherly kindness in our lives, right? Isolation. Isolation kills brotherly kindness. Particularly, Lord's Day, joining together on the Lord's Day in the context of worship and stuff, but really about being with people during the week and stuff, okay? Um, we start to isolate ourselves from people, and, and you know what? It's hard to love people that you never see, Right? I mean, you know that's the case. You just, you just naturally begin to distance yourself from those people. Um, disengagement. Even when you're with them, you're not really with them, right? Even when you're with them, you're just sort of, yeah, yeah. You do that. I do that, right? This is the greatest encouragement to disengagement that has probably ever existed in the history of the world, right? We've all got one in our pockets, but we disengage. Even when we're physically present with people, we're disengaged from them. Or even if we're physically present and engaged, we are superficial. And so we never really open up. We never really talk about what's important. We never really talk about what's real. We keep everything on the surface, and we talk about easy stuff like... You know, football games and, and fun stuff and, and what we're watching and, and, and the cool places that we've gone. And we never really get below the surface. That contributes to a, a the death of, of brotherly kindness. And then one final thing that he lists is the idea of unresolved conflict, right? If 
you're present and if you're engaged and if you are actually being deep, but you will never deal with the issues that are actually putting up roadblocks between you and other people, right? Essentially, the idea is you're always bringing a grudge to the table and seeing everything through that grudge that's going to kill brotherly kindness, right? And yet we do these kind of things all the time, right? Like that's just the way we, we act, okay? And so the reality is, is we, at least in the case of unresolved conflict, we either need to address it with the person and then forgive, or we just need to forgive, right? Which sometimes is the better thing. Sometimes we look at it and we go, it's really not that big a deal. It's really not that important. I should just get over it and then move on. But if it's not that way, if it's something that you can't move on from and needs to be addressed, then address it. And so there can be healing there and something happen. And yet, but instead what we do is we do all these little subtle things in our lives to kill brotherly kindness that keep us from acting in those ways. And so I think it's obvious when, as we talk about brotherly kindness that maybe it carries some of the same baggage that, talk, that talking about the fatherly love of God can for some people, right? So sometimes when you talk about God's fatherly love, there's a problem because people had awful fathers, right? If you had an abusive father or you had an absent father and then you hear somebody talk about how God loves us like a father, that may, there may be a disconnect there for you, right? You kind of go, man, I don't, I don't know what that means. I certainly hope God doesn't love me like a father because, you know, my father wasn't there or my father was abusive or my father was, you know, had, had all kinds of issues or whatever, right? The same thing can be true about when we talk about brotherly kindness. Like a lot of times we have such division in our families, especially with our siblings, that sometimes we might go, man, I don't know exactly what brotherly kindness um, is supposed to look like, right? Does brotherly kindness just kind of mean, well, we don't usually get along, but I guess if something really bad happened, we would have each other's back, right? That's not what brotherly kindness is, even though a lot of times that's the relationship um, that we have with our brothers or our siblings. Um, I would argue that even if we have good relationships with our siblings, we're still probably missing something about what brotherly kindness is actually getting at. Man, I, I have a great relationship with my brother. I would consider my brother, um, along with Christy, like my best friend. You know, um, we we enjoy each other's company and we care about each other and we're, um, I, you know, I want to help him and I worry about him and I want what's best for him, right, and all these different things. But I think there is even something missing there. Because that's almost natural, right? Like there, it, or at least it should be natural. It's almost like that storge love that I talked about earlier, that familial love that you expect from people who are bound together by, uh, by blood and by kin, right? There's another passage that I want us to look at real quick. And if you've got your Bible, turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. And I want to point out something that is interesting, and I think zooms us in a little bit more on what, what we actually mean by brotherly kindness. So Hebrews chapter 2. So look at verse 10 through 12. It says this. For it was fitting that he, the Father, for whom and by whom all things exist... In bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, that's Jesus, perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are sanctified, all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. 
saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praises. Okay, so notice something about there's a lot in that passage and it's and it's kind of hard to break down. But but let me just kind of um, quickly kind of zoom in on something. So it says the process by which God, the father, has brought these many sons to glory. Right. Meaning he is bringing in this 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 family um, into into his into his family. Right. Bringing in these people into his family. It says is through the suffering of his son, Jesus. Right. So in bringing many sons to glory, he should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And moreover, it is that same Jesus who is the one who also sanctifies us. Right. So Jesus is um, is bringing these, these people in and he's being perfected through his suffering and. We are being sanctified by Jesus. So, again, there's a lot here and there's a lot of nuance, but let me kind of tell you what I think the big picture that he's getting at in this. He's saying Jesus, in that outward-focused godliness that we talked about last week, has stepped down into our suffering. Okay? He has come down and, and entered into our suffering to sacrificially serve us. And we have been welcomed into his holiness, right? He is sanctifying us and making us more like himself to the extent that the Bible and other places would say that we are in Christ, right? That we are being sanctified in Christ. We are being set apart for not only the holiness of his character, but also the godliness of his character, right? That his, that his missional and kind of outward focused character and mission, okay? So I think what we see there is this idea that we have been welcomed into that Philadelphia, right? We have been welcomed in by that brotherly love. Um, We have been welcomed into God's family because of the exchange that goes on between Christ sharing in our sufferings and us sharing in Christ's righteousness. Okay, so essentially you could kind of think of it almost like this. Brotherly kindness is about us, the the connection between that comes because of those things. Right. It's almost like a connection between the way we hear people talk about brotherhood who are in the military. Okay, people who have served in a similar context, people who have fought and suffered and and had a common mission, speak of each other as in terms of brotherhood. Right. Oftentimes um, they speak in, of each other in terms of this 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 care and love for each other that almost extends past. It seems like other normal um, human um, kind of relationships. I think that's what is being beginning to be seen in this idea of brotherly kindness, right? Jesus has become a brother to us, but he has done that through suffering, right? He's done that through the, the, the coming alongside us in our difficulty and sharing his goodness with us, okay? And so, again, not to nerd out too much, but take it back to the Lord of the Rings a little bit, right? That, that brotherly kindness that is there is a little bit like Frodo and Sam in, in the Lord of the Rings stories, right? They have a friendship that increases and expands. Apparently there's an earthquake going on. Um, they're like... Bowling balls? I don't know. Something. Um, there is a there is a camaraderie between the two of them. But why? They were they were friends back in the Shire. But then they go on this mission together, right? And they fight and they suffer and they have a common goal and all these things come come together and that becomes the thing that defines that brotherly kindness, 
right? It becomes the thing that defines that bond between them and that love that is expressed between them. Okay, and so I I think that's the picture that we start to get of what brotherly kindness is actually all about. Okay, it isn't just like, oh, man, you're my buddy or whatever. And in fact, it's not even just, um, hey, you're my my kin. Right. You're, You're my you're my blood. It's not even that. It's something another step beyond that to say. Um, you are somebody who I am going to treat as if we were war buddies, okay? Um, that we are people who have fought and sacrificed with each other. And obviously that makes even more sense in the context of the church, right? Because I can literally look to brothers and sisters in Christ and say, that's who we are, right? We are living in the context of fighting against sin and fighting against um, all the all the difficulties that come in life together as brothers in Christ. But I think the case is, is that God is saying, I want you to care about other people that way too, right? I want you to look out and that affection you have in your heart for other people would be the kind of affection that you would see if you were somebody who had fought and suffered and stepped into somebody else's suffering the way Christ has come to step into your suffering. And then moreover, in the same way that Christ is giving of his goodness, pouring out of his goodness and his holiness to that person, that you would also be the person who pours out your goodness and holiness in the life of that other person. I think that's what brotherly kindness looks like. Okay? And now you might hear all that and say, man, I can't do that, Ash. Um, there's some people in my church, there's some people in my workplace, there's some people in my community that I can barely stand to be around, much less love with some kind of, of, of brotherly um, love that you're talking about. And all I would say to you is, you may not think you can, but you can. It is possible. And the reason why I know that is because the beginning of this chapter says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, right? He has already put within you, in terms of the working of His Holy Spirit, everything you need to accomplish what He has called you to do, right? And so now the question is, is will you make every effort to pursue these things? Um, will you stop making excuses as to why that you and that other person just don't get along or something like that? And will you pour out your life um, in love and in service to somebody else? I want to take us to one last place, and, and we'll close on this. And it's actually something that I want you, we're not going to really get into, but I want you to take it with you to small group this week. And if you're not one of our small groups um, and you would like to be, come talk to me after service. Um, or if you're just visiting with us or something, maybe you could take some time this week and go back over this passage and just sort of meditate on it and, and read over it and pray over it in your own time. But you might ask the question, well, what does this look like? What would brotherly kindness actually look like? If it were played out in in my life. So look at Romans chapter 12 real quick. And we'll close on this and then we'll be done and, and, and I'll send you home with this. Romans chapter 12. Looking at verses 10 through 13. So he says, at the beginning, he says, love one another with a brotherly affection. There's those words again, okay? Brotherly affection, you already know what that word is. It's Philadelphia, okay? The cool thing is, is that if you look at that word in the Greek, the first one that says love or be devoted to somebody, it's a word that's called philostorge, 
Guess what that is? It's a combination of two of those words. It's like super love, right? Okay, it is. It is the combination of that friendly affection love, and it is the combination of the familial um, bond of of love, right? And so there's actually this word that is the two of those joined together. It is. So he says, you know, have philostorge this. Friendly affection, bonded familial love, live that out with brotherly affection, okay? And so you're like, okay, it's a lot of love, right? There's a lot of love at the beginning of this passage. What does it look like? And then he says these things. There's just sort of these little phrases. And a lot of times when we read this, I think we separate these phrases out and just say they're standalone kind of phrases. But I think they're pointing back to that command to love one another with a brotherly affection, to be devoted to one another with a brotherly affection. Look what it tells us to do. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in your zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Okay, that's what I want you to talk about when you when you meet together in small groups this week, or that's what I want you to kind of meditate on as you go throughout your week. Those things, maybe like write those things out, maybe put them somewhere, put them on your mirror in your bathroom, see them, think about them at at different times during the week. What would it look like if we treated people around us in terms of those um, eight clauses? Um, if we lived out those eight things in the lives of our, our families, um, our friend groups, our workplaces, our communities, what would it look like? Because that's exactly what the Bible is calling us to do. It's calling us to make every effort to add to our godliness brotherly affection. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we recognize that we have a world that in many ways is pulling apart at the seams, God, and that many of those things are are facilitated by and exacerbated by um, the distancing that is going on between us and our our families and our neighbors and our communities. God, we are we are drifting from each other. Um, we are becoming islands, um, even within our own neighborhoods. Father, we recognize that as followers of Jesus Christ, you have called us to grow in our brotherly kindness um, to people. You have called us to grow in our godliness and our missional care for people. And so so we recognize that there are things that we are going to have to um, do to make those things real in our lives. God, help us to prioritize these things. Help us to see um, the things that are killing those things, the self selfishness, um, the self-centeredness. Um, like we talked about last week, the, the looking um, around us and um, trying to keep up with other people and thinking that those are the things that um, define what the good life is instead of seeing our lives poured out in, in service and sacrifice for those around us in the same way that your son poured out his life for us. Um, God, help us to do those things through the power of your Holy Spirit. Um, I pray that for Myself, I pray that for these folks gathered here. I pray that for our families, and I pray that for um, God, our community. Uh, We love you. We praise you. We ask these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.